0: Capital. Quality of life will be dramatically
1: different. Covid will change cities. People will try to rebuild. The U.S. and China are not doing the right thing. Consume and spend. If we have a similar
0: crash in our housing market, hello, I'm Michael Pasco. We would be utterly devastated. Welcome to Thought Capital, the podcast that delves into the wealth of ideas created by the experts at Monash Business School in Melbourne, Australia. When it comes to the economy, everything's connected, which is why this season of Thought Capital will try to connect the dots on the impact of COVID-19. Just recording this podcast for Monash Business School is an example of the way the insidious coronavirus has changed our world. Previously, I'd fly down to Melbourne from Sydney to record three or four interviews in a Monash studio and fly home for dinner, or maybe stay in a hotel overnight for another batch of interviews the next day. This time, like many of you, I've been stuck in my home office, recording the interviews over Zoom. The airline hasn't had my business. Planes grounded, staff let go. The hotel rooms have remained empty. The meals I would have purchased did not come into existence. The taxi or Uber rides untaken. We adapt, we still record the podcast. The audio isn't as fine, but you've become used to that this year. You've adapted too. You understand the foibles and interruptions of working from home. And Zoom shares have soared. But the service sector, especially tourism and hospitality, has taken a massive hit. All the businesses and people who used to get an indirect slice of the action from a Thought Capital podcast recording. And the education sector certainly hasn't been spared. From employment to its business structure to the uncertainty over what to do next for work or study. In this episode, we are focusing on the state of our economy with the help of Professor Heather Anderson from the Department of Econometrics and Business Statistics and Professor Giovanni Caggiano from the Department of Economics at Monash Business School. Welcome. Heather, we've called this episode Driving the Australian Economy Through a Pandemic. What is the ride like?
1: Well, I suppose initially we were all subject to um, a very unexpected um, shock. The shock was stunning and there's been um, new shocks that come in as the virus has hit new countries and uh, restrictions have been brought into place. But I I think the uh, characteristic that we're now becoming more aware of is that this is going to go on for a long while. So there's the marathon um, aspect of this ride that we have to start getting used to. And, and that's actually, I think, the hardest part of this.
0: So the kids in the backseat screaming, are we there yet, um, are going to get short shrift.
1: Yeah, well, it's not just the kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the adults.
2: <laughs> Giovanni, how, how would you describe this, this ride? There's a huge uncertainty about uh, how the economy will go through this. What type of policies are the best policies to respond Is there a trade-off between the health crisis and the economic crisis? It's not clear whether or not a relatively short pain of a lockdown is worth longer-term gains. So it's really like navigating the uncharted. Given the ructions, it's hard for data to keep up to
0: just where we are, let alone indicate where we might be going to. What are the
1: figures telling us about the shape of this recession so far? As far as uh, where we are... The uh, sectors that have been really hit are the arts and recreation, accommodation and food services, rental hiring. The initial statistics um, also showed a a big drop in agriculture, but that was more due to the bushfires than to the um, COVID itself. But the job numbers are already showing um, signs of improvement. Growth rates are showing signs of improvement in, in several sectors, And the predictions that uh, we have done with our models suggest that if there aren't uh, more shocks and more waves, then the growth rate will be back to where it was before by um, early 2022. The levels will take longer. Um, How many jobs there are, that will take longer, but will return eventually. That's what our predictions are saying.
0: Giovanni, while employment picks up as the economy's opened up again, we also have job keeper being wound back, the job seeker supplements also wound back, causing a rise in unemployment. The service sector has indeed copped the worst of it.
2: Where do you see that going? There is one thing that is important here, uh, which has also longer-term consequences. There is to keep labor participation up. Labor participation is important in the longer term because it affects what we call potential output. So, you know, what the economy is able to produce when it is at full capacity. This shock is, is going to be temporary. As uh, how temporary? We don't know yet. This is a, um, an economic shock that has uh, a health origin if you tackle the health crisis, you will tackle the economic crisis. Now, there's a lapse of time that goes from the start of the shock to the time where the shock will be uh, over. It is important in this period of time, economic policy will uh, you know, keep workers uh, into the labor uh, force. And I think the job seeker and the job keeper programs go in that direction.
1: We have done some analysis of the effects of job keeper Certainly the growth rates have increased uh, much more quickly than they would have if it was not there. We have that evidence there. Uh, we also did some evidence about whether JobKeeper would have the same effect if it was extended, and that evidence was not there. In contrast, it would have some effect but nowhere near as, as much as, as the first time.
0: As they begin to get pulled back, um, is there going to be the demand? Where's the demand coming from?
2: To take up the slack? Keeping up demand means giving people uh, cash to spend. People need to have increase in their disposable income, and in particular, those categories of people that are going to spend that money. There is one data that uh, is striking if one looks at Australia, which is the level of the saving rate. The saving rate since the beginning of the crisis has skyrocketed. It is about 20% now. It's 19.8%. People have uh, piled up savings. So the important thing that fiscal policy in this sense can do uh, is to give those categories of people that will spend that money cash, basically. Also, a lot of
0: headlines about sectoral unemployment, youth unemployment, how this particular recession affects women with implications for the budget. There are specific policies aimed at the under 35s, encouraging them to get back to work. Do you have faith in those?
1: I think they're important because we need to get those people back into the labour force. Faith, well, um, it depends on, I suppose, if people stay in the labour force and that remains to be seen, I suppose. But I I think it's important to get people back into the labour force. It's important to get them trained. And that was one of the things that the um, budget was looking at as as well. And I, I think that's important.
0: The Reserve Bank seems to be suggesting that we won't have the inflation rate in its target range for several years. And therefore, interest rates stay down for several years. Does that also mean unemployment? is going to
2: remain too high for several years? I have more concerns about uh, women participation in the labor force, especially women with uh, children there's been uh, an unequal uh, impact uh, of this shock in the labor market uh, between men and women. Women have been impacted more than men. Low skilled workers have been impacted more than high skilled workers. So, m- more than looking at the aggregate level of unemployment, I'm more concerned about the composition and the fact that most of these uh, people might go out of the labor force. Some sectors
0: have managed to thrive through that very sharp downturn in GDP. Has that surprised you that we do see companies reporting record profits in some cases?
1: There are um, sectors that have have made gains. Financial services, for instance, and um, uh, wholesale trade and health services have uh, now got more jobs and more gains than before. The mining sector has the potential to make gains, but then it's a small sector in terms of jobs. It's a large sector in terms of uh, GDP that it creates. So I suppose it depends on where one's perspective is as to whether one would want to focus on that. I agree with Giovanni that we would like to see more people in, in construction Our analysis shows that people in construction and manufacturing and jobs that make things that are used almost straight away have large spillover effects on the rest of the economy. That's important because we don't just need to stimulate sectors that don't have that much effect on the rest of the economy. We need to stimulate sectors that do force people in other sectors to consume and spend and get the economy going again. Spending is very important here.
0: The federal budget in October was an extraordinary document, the headline grabbing massive debt and deficit numbers after the coalition had been calling them twin evils, but also still an ideologically conservative budget in many ways, relying on tax cuts and the private sector to create jobs and investment. I called it the whirling dervish budget as it relied a lot on faith and spin, faith in the household consumption and business investment and spin in exaggerating the tax
2: cuts, especially the temporary one. Was I being unfair? Not really. I shared the view that tax cuts are not necessarily the best way to boost demand. It is quite likely that most of these tax cuts will go to increase uh, savings uh, rather than consumption. So, alternative ways of boosting demand could have been uh, direct uh, cash payments to unemployed people or to low income uh, people but there's a number of missed opportunities. It would have been a great opportunity to incentivize uh, environmental friendly investments. And this is again an issue, a longer term issue that the world economy uh, is facing now and Australia in particular. Uh, we've seen it with bushfires. On the other hand, there are few positive uh, interventions uh, in support of keeping uh, firms and workers together and boosting infrastructure. Limiting
0: the pain has come at a cost. The headline number, of course, is the trillion dollar debt for the Australian government. It certainly sounds serious, but how bad is it really? We called on an expert who has a lot of experience with government debt. Associate Professor Gaurav Dat from the Department of Economics has worked with the World Bank for more than two decades and in development economics even longer. Welcome, Gaurav. Uh, The trillion dollar debt, should we be worried about that? Not particularly.
3: When we're looking at, uh, say, numbers related to debt, I think we have to relate it to the size of the economy. I mean, a trillion dollars is an absolute uh, number. It seems very large, but you have to see it relative to the size of the economy. So the size of Australia's economy is about $2 trillion. So the the debt is about 50 percent of GDP. And when you put it in those terms, then it's not such a large number. I mean, again, you have to view it in the context of, you know, other countries and the average for advanced economies in terms of debt as a percentage of GDP is around 125%. And that's similar numbers for UK, US, even France and Germany have higher numbers. Canada has over 100% as the debt ratio. So it's not particularly large. So one shouldn't be too alarmed. Is there a right number? I mean, does it matter? You have to view it in the current context, you know. I mean, we are facing um, sort of an economic downturn, like the likes of which we haven't seen since the Great Depression. So in that context, there is a need for providing a lot of fiscal support. And that will come at the expense of raising government debt. And under the circumstances, a debt-to-GDP ratio of uh, 50%, and if you look at the net debt to GDP ratio, which is around 40%, is not uh, something that should be considered alarmingly high,
0: in my view. Does it eventually come home to roost? Are we creating a burden for our children, as some people have climbed?
3: Not necessarily. Of course, we are in the negative growth territory at the moment. But if we can climb out of it and get to positive growth of, say, 3 4%, You know, that itself will reduce the debt over time. So it doesn't necessarily require raising taxes in the future. A bit of inflation and a bit of growth, while the interest rates are low, will help actually reduce the debt over time.
0: Is that the catch in the whole game, though, that if we get some more inflation, interest rates will therefore go up, and all of a sudden, we could have a debt that would have a significant burden?
3: There is always that risk, but, you know, I mean, I think the projections for inflation in the forward estimates right up to 23, 24, really, they, it doesn't even come up to 2%. The economy is in a recessionary state. In this kind of a state, it's hard to see that inflation becoming a major issue. And in fact, in some ways, you, probably a little bit more inflation would not hurt so much. In fact, it will help you bring down the debt
0: we have unprecedented federal government deficit this financial year they want to reduce it next financial year that does mean a fiscal tightening at a time when unemployment's still going to be quite high if you were treasurer would you let it run a bit longer
3: yeah that's a, that's a good question i mean i think in some ways uh, there could be an argument in fact even for a higher fiscal deficit than it's planned for there is a fiscal deficit uh, target around 10% for 2021, and then declining to about 5% in 2021 22 and further declines in the outer years. At the same time, the employment situation is, is still somewhat precarious. There seems to be a certain amount of willingness to tolerate a relatively high level of unemployment and underemployment. The budget anticipates that you know, they probably won't get down to below 6% till 23, 24. So with a six to 7% unemployment rate, you're probably looking at an underutilization rate upward of 10%. And that's significant. And um, it has lots of you know, knock-on effects in terms of you know, what it means for uh, real wages, what it also means basically for people's lives and livelihoods. And so there is an argument in my view, certainly, that they could have even gone for a even higher deficit to, to provide a greater sort of fiscal support.
0: The Reserve Bank Governor Guy DeBell Bell made the point that it's a good time to borrow and borrow big, and borrowing <laughs> big now means probably less debt later than borrowing small, that the economy given to our children would be in a worse state rather than giving them some debt. Sounds like yeah. you agree with him.
3: Yeah, I think there's a lot to be to be said for that that view and um, and it's interesting that such a view is coming from the leaders of you know monetary policy in the country themselves because you know if you really look at what are the alternatives yes we could have gone for even a smaller deficit and therefore a smaller debt this year what would that mean i mean that means lower government spending which means effectively that you know there's going to be even greater hardship for on people is probably gonna have a knock-on effect on our growth, you know. which is instead of minus 4% for this fiscal year, you might be looking at minus six, 7%. And that it further erodes you know, the tax revenues down the road. If the economy is kind of basically shrinking, so would your tax revenues. And it doesn't even improve the fiscal bottom line in the medium term. So a little bit more pain, well, it's arguable how much pain it is in the first place, but a little bit more deficit now, um, perhaps uh, seems to be the right way to go.
0: If you were treasurer for the next budget, where would you be spending the debt?
3: I would be guided quite a bit by what's happening on the employment side. I mean, you know, if we are still looking at relatively high levels of unemployment, I think uh, cash support to households in various forms, I think there would be a case for uh, not tapering it down too quickly. And then also in terms of spending, it would be good to see a bit more devoted to sort of things like social housing, not to mention higher education, you know, which has certainly been hit very badly. And it's a large export industry as well for Australia. And and it's really uh, something that could have been supported better and should have been supported better in my view. Similarly, you know, as you know, we're going to have negative population growth in the next year or so, again, providing some more support to uh, workers who are on, on temporary visas would have been a good idea also because it gets spent eventually in the economy. I mean, these, these are groups that have a very high propensity to spend. And finally, uh, you know, this is also perhaps not a bad time to think in terms of some longer term repositioning of the economy, especially encouraging green investments. You probably saw the recent statement by, by Xi Jinping about China aiming for Zero net emissions by twenty sixty, so even you know relying a lot on the mining sector and uh, digging out our minerals and especially coal, etc. And that strategy, you can already see that you know it's reaching its limits. There's a lot of potential in, in terms of renewables, and and that's an area which is uh, certainly something one would have liked to have seen a much greater push in terms of investment, and and it makes good sense from a growth point of view as well, in terms of both jobs and, and, and output.
0: How long do you think before we get back on track? That's a hard question. I mean, if
3: you go by, you know, certainly what the budget is projecting, uh, they expect to return to about a 3% rate of growth uh, by about 23, 24. This is not going to be a case of come next year, we are back on track. It's, it's likely to be a slower recovery. Some of it will depend on what sort of fiscal response the government is, both in terms of the size and the content. I think we're looking at uh, at least two, three years before we get to pre-COVID levels uh, in terms of a number of indicators.
0: It's hard to give up on a dozen years of uh, rhetoric and ideology all of a sudden.
3: No, it certainly is. But I think this is a sort of a lesson that people have learned all over the world. I mean, you know, in Australia, is no exception. You look at all the advanced countries, they've come to realize, especially in this context of negative real rate of interest and et cetera, that our only hope out of this is good old Keynesian sort of mechanisms. And even uh, Trump's USA has, in practice, uh, really gone in for one of the largest fiscal stimuluses anywhere in the world. It's a lesson worth learning and and acting on it.
0: Whether we've learned the lesson as a country or not, and whether our fiscal stimulus is large enough or not, Heather Anderson and Giovanni Caggiano, we've discussed the difficulties. Are there things you're positive about?
1: Well, there are a lot of um, uh, countries um, that are doing a lot worse than us. So in in that sense, we should be um, pleased with the situation we're in. We've got good control of COVID and our economy is picking up and it was in good shape before um, COVID came. So I think we can be optimistic. It will take some time we've got to be um, positive but we started from a good place um, our economy was in good shape we haven't lost our, our infrastructure and capital we have every reason to be optimistic i think it's just a waiting game at the moment
2: Giovanni there's two um, they two mention here one is uh, uh, looking at a cross-country comparison and another one is looking over time uh, in terms of looking at an international comparison, uh, Australia is still, in some sense, um, you know, at, at least in, in relative terms, the lucky country. Uh, GDP has gone down by less than um, um, uh, what has happened in, uh, compar- in, in other advanced economies. Uh, uh, unemployment has gone up by less. Uh, there's more space for fiscal um, uh, stimulus in Australia compared to other uh, economies so and uh, and COVID is uh, uh, under control compared to other uh, economies. So in this sense, uh, in relative terms, uh, Australia is still a better place than other countries.
0: A wild ride, but we keep on riding it. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks. Yeah. The service sector has coped the worst of the COVID nineteen economic shock. The repercussions are likely to be felt for years to come. But there is hope for businesses that are able to adapt. Tune in to the next episode of Thought Capital. Listen to how they did it. Until then, stay safe. Thought Capital is written and produced by Tina Zanu. Editor is Nadia Hume. Executive producer, Helen Weston. If you'd like to find out more, go to monash.edu forward slash business. Look for us wherever you listen to podcasts.